0: as we pray together come holy spirit and fill this place now as you have even begun so to do with your abiding presence lord i pray that each of us as the word of god is proclaimed will sense the spirit of god unfolding it in our hearts and minds lord i pray for me as the preacher of your word give me utterance help me to speak clearly uh, lord let me, let me say exactly the things that need to be said lord And I pray, Father God, as we come into this time when we are hearing the gospel, Lord, that it would be good news indeed for someone special this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I think that we all uh, know the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe we know a thumbnail sketch. If we were to be asked, we could give you a thumbnail of, of what the story was about. And because we are in the Bible Belt we probably all know the same little ditty. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was seen. See, that's how liturgy gets started, right there. <laughs> that's just how it starts, exactly. Well, brothers and sisters, we may think we know this, this tale. We may think we know this episode from the life of Christ, but I think that we may, in fact, be missing the detail, the nuance, maybe even the punch, if you will, of this passage of Scripture, and for us to grasp that nuance, to get into the detail, to unfold the things that perhaps are not surface-level uh, truths that we need to be made aware of, we're going to we're gonna have to approach this text not through the lenses of 21st century Western culture, but we're going to have to put on the culture and the experience of the Middle East in general, And first century Palestine in particular, in order to be able to understand what's being taught in this passage of Scripture. And if we do that, I think that you and I will find that Jesus still has the power to shock us with the scandalous, world-shaking character of God's grace. The gospel still has the power to shock us with the scandalous, world-shaking power of God's grace. And the first step away from our Western uh, preconceptions into the world of the Middle East is to realize actually that this narrative does not start in Luke chapter 19 verse 1. That's where we started the reading this morning. But the actual actual context of the narrative begins way back in Luke chapter 18 verse 35. And there St. Luke writes as Jesus approached Jericho. So that's where this passage begins, as Jesus approached Jericho. And then he begins to tell the story about the blind beggar healed by Jesus. And we need to know that this is where the narrative actually begins because Luke is setting the stage for us. He's, he's bringing, he's, he's recounting an event, but for us as his readers, he's bringing people onto the stage and he's creating a scene that is filled with nuance and meaning, and we need to see what he's trying to say to us. So Jesus is approaching Jericho. He is on his way to Jerusalem, and there's a large crowd gathered to see him. And I want us to slip into this crowd of Middle Eastern villagers and see these events through their eyes. Now, in the Middle Eastern culture to this day, if a powerful or influential or famous person is coming into a town... The custom is for a large contingent of citizens to meet that dignitary outside the city limits and then escort them into town. So the villagers escort the VIP into town. And the more important the celebrity, the farther out from town the escorting crowd travels to meet him or her. Uh, uh, Canon Kenneth Bailey, who wrote a book that's very supportive for for, uh, my exegesis for this passage... The book is called uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. He tells this story. He tells the story about when he was living in a town called Asyut in southern Egypt in the 1960s. And during the time that his family was living there, the president of Egypt, who was Nasser at the time, President Nasser, visited their village. And when Nasser and his staff were st- still 10 miles out of town, thousands of folks from Aschut, uh met the presidential convoy on the road. And they made them turn off the engines of the limousines. And they had brought ropes with them from the village. And what they did then was they tied ropes to the bumpers of those limousines. And I'm thinking, this is southern Egypt. It's probably really hot. It's 1960. There's no air conditioning in that car. You know, uh, but uh, but they're doing this anyway, and so they've got. I'm sure the president and his envoy have uh, his uh, convoy have all their windows rolled down. But they roll down. Uh, they they tie those ropes to the bumpers, and by their by their own strength, those villagers pulled that convoy of presidential vehicles all ten miles back to their village, and they did this as a sign of respect and welcome for the dignitary for President Nasser in that case. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. The famous wonder-working rabbi, Jesus, is coming to town. He's coming to Jericho. The word on the street is that he is heading up to Jerusalem for Passover. And that in and of itself is packed with meaning. Throngs of people have come out to meet him in a sign of respect. And and when when Jericho got the news that Jesus was going to be coming to town, it was a bad day for livestock in Jericho. Because by this time, once the message got into town, several young goats have already been turned into fine Jericho barbecue. And that's what's going on. And everybody in town who hasn't gone out to meet the rabbi is cooking their signature dish. The most respected family in town has gone into high gear to prepare their large home to receive the rabbi and his disciples when they arrive. And before he even gets to town, Jesus heals a blind beggar right there on the roadside. And so the villagers that are there to see it. They, They see that it's all true, and I'm sure people go running back to town to tell about it. It's all true. He really does open the eyes of the blind. And probably the words of the prophet Isaiah are ringing in their ears when they see this event. The Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah wrote, is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, Brothers and sisters, revival just broke out at that moment in Jericho. People were coming down the road with Jesus saying hallelujah, shouting praise the Lord. And coming into the streets of Jericho, the folks around Jesus are tugging at his sleeves, employing the rabbi, begging the rabbi to come into the house and enjoy the feast that they prepared for him. Preacher, we've got coleslaw, potato salad, cornbread and biscuits, homemade butter, collard greens, butter beans, sliced tomatoes and cucumbers, deviled eggs, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, stuffed eggs. That green bean casserole with those little French fried canned onions on the top that nobody eats. Sweet iced tea and hand-churned homemade peach ice cream. And Jesus, best of all, we have got pit-cooked goat with the special Jericho sauce on it. And we don't want to hurt your feelings, but you folks from Galilee just don't know how to do barbecue. But Jesus just shakes his head. He keeps on walking down Main Street. And like a rock dropping in a pond, a wave of disappointment and discouragement ripples out through the crowd. What do you mean he's not going to stop? He said he's just passing through. Doesn't he want to accept our famous Jericho hospitality? We wanted to hear what he was planning to do when he got to Jerusalem. Jericho is an important town. At least he should have addressed the Chamber of Commerce or spoken to the city council. What they haven't noticed, though, as that crowd is in a moment of consternation that Jesus seems to be leaving town, is that just outside of the crowd, furtively looking around the corner, is that low-down, pint-sized, conniving, godless, Roman-collaborating, tax-collecting thief, Zacchaeus. He is too short to see over anybody's head, and he knows better than to try to slip into the crowd to work his way to the front to see Rabbi Jesus. Because if he did squeeze into the crowd, he'd be lucky to get out with just some scrapes and bruises. One of those Jericho boys might have accidentally stuck him with a buck knife. They hated this guy. Hated him. You see, Zacchaeus had a deal with the Romans. Like all tax collectors in Roman-occupied Palestine, he had bought a franchise with the, inv- with the invaders to collect taxes for a particular district or a particular town. And he paid the Roman government a set sum every year from those taxes that he collected. And anything that he collected above and beyond what was uh, required by Rome was his own personal profit. And you can see how this led easily to abuse. And he had the oppressive force of the Roman garrison back behind him, backing him up to make sure that people paid up. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. Because he as a Jew had sold his own soul to those brutal idol-worshipping Romans just so that he could make a fortune off of the misery of his own countrymen. Now all the great rabbis of this time taught that tax collectors were ritually unclean. We can still go to Midrash and, and other speak uh, other, Talmud and Midrash and see the comments of rabbis about what they thought about tax collectors. And they all said with unanimity that they were, the tax collectors were unclean. They were seen as filth. Their families were filth. Their houses were a garbage heap. Just to touch a tax collector would make you ritually unclean. Now, I don't know why for sure, but Zacchaeus got it into his head that he really had to see Jesus. He really wanted to see this man. And in my sanctified imagination, I think that, that Zacchaeus had heard that Jesus, was, that Jesus had welcomed sinners. He, he, there was even word that one of Jesus' own disciples was a tax collector. And I think that the rumor of the kind of stories that Jesus had been telling on his walk, like back in Luke chapter 15, as he's coming towards, he's set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he tells this tale of the lost, uh, the lost coin tells the tale of the lost sheep. He tells the parable of the prodigal, the lost son. And those stories have gotten to Jericho before Jesus did. And so he had to see this man. What kind of rabbi is that? Well, since he was short and since he didn't have a death wish, he didn't even try to get through the crowd. Instead, he did something that, again, we need to recognize. We don't see it as as particularly odd, but it was disgraceful in his day. Zacchaeus hiked up the skirts of his gaudy robes. And first of all, you just don't do that. Uh, in, this, in this period, men, and still in parts of the Middle East to this day, men wear long robes. And you don't show off your legs. You just don't do it. But he hiked, you can't run without hiking up your robes, okay? I can't get up these stairs without hiking up my robes. So let me tell you, from somebody that wears robes, this is true. So he hikes up his gaudy robes and he lit out and he ran down the street to just out of town where he came to a sycamore fig tree. Now, sycamore fig trees have low branches and he figured that he could just climb up and observe Jesus from his perch. Now, let me tell you something else. Not only do grown men not, uh, not run in public in the Middle East, uh, especially important uh, grown-up men, Grown men in the Middle East don't run. They don't go anywhere like that. But Zacchaeus was hated, and now he was even willing, listen, he was willing to go beyond people just hating him to being a laughingstock as people saw him sprint out of town. And the only thing that is less dignified than a grown man running with his robes pulled up over his knees is a grown man climbing a tree. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But something had happened to Zacchaeus. He was willing to risk public humiliation. He was willing to to be humiliated and climb a tree. He was willing to be humiliated and climb a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. I think that the news about Jesus and the presence of Rabbi Jesus had engendered in Zacchaeus a sense of holy desperation... So the crowd spots Zacchaeus sitting there on his perch, vulnerable and ridiculous. He doesn't have any Roman soldiers standing there to intimidate the villagers. And they begin to aim a steady torrent of verbal abuse at the tax collectors. By the way, this is how, how did Jesus know his name? How did Jesus know his name was Zacchaeus? Is that some kind of miracle that just happened? No, folks, those town people are out there saying stuff like this. Zacchaeus, you blankety blank traitor. Zacchaeus, you good for nothing, pig eating, Gentile loving dog. He's heard his name several times by this time. And in that moment, as the crowd is probably starting to look around for rocks to knock this rich sleazebag out of the tree with, Jesus does something scandalous, something outrageous, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree because I'm coming home to stay with you today. Now, that is just shocking. On so many levels. First of all, the crowd might expect Jesus, if he did address Zacchaeus, to lecture him about the oppression of the poor and his collaboration with the enemies of Israel. They might expect Jesus to even offer a chance to become ritually clean if only Zacchaeus would repent, give away all his money, quit his job, and then go up to Jerusalem for a purification ceremony. But instead, Jesus invites himself Home to be the guest of this tax collector. Now, while in the Middle East, you can't expect a host to almost drag you home with him to be his guest and to shower you with the best hospitality his family can afford, no one, listen, no one ever would think to invite themselves to be someone else's guest. It's just never done. You never invite your home yourself home with somebody. You don't do it in this country. Usually... Unless you're just socially awkward. Uh, but, but you certainly never do it in the Middle East. Just wasn't Emily Post. Not one bit. What's more, no rabbi would even think of defiling himself by being in the house of a tax collector. Especially right before the Passover. But to top it off, Jesus who just 15 minutes ago. And this is so important to understand what's going on in this text just 15 minutes ago, said he couldn't accept the hospitality of the good people of Jericho, has now changed his mind going out of town and is headed back into town to spend the night at the house of the most despised man for miles around. And this is why that's a critical point. Because in that moment, all the mob's hostility that was seething towards Zacchaeus is redirected back to Jesus himself. Jesus' self-invitation is an act of costly, sacrificial love. Let me repeat that. Jesus' act of self-invitation is an act of costly, sacrificial love. All of the shame... All of the wrath, all of the condemnation, all the defilement that were Zacchaeus' were by his own deserving. Jesus has now just drawn unto himself. Now the crowd isn't grumbling about Zacchaeus at all. They're grumbling about Jesus. And listen to what it says. So he heard him, came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Who are they grumbling about? They're grumbling about Jesus. I can just see Zacchaeus shimmying down out of the tree, hopping from one foot to another with genuine glee. Yes, yes, Lord, come home with me right away. Thank you, thank you. Please come and stay with me and my family. And taking the now grinning Jesus by the hand and oblivious to the murmuring crowd, Zacchaeus leads Jesus back through the streets of Jericho to his home. This is God's love on display. God's seeking love is so amazing. Jesus did not wait for Zacchaeus to clean up his act. Instead, he just declares, I am coming home with you. You didn't invite me in, instead in my own authority, I'm coming through all of the barriers that you think can keep a holy God away from you at arm's length. Your sin, your defilement, even the way you have oppressed others are not enough to keep me from reaching out to you in love and finding you. And Jesus offers Zacchaeus' relationship, a relationship that Zacchaeus thought had had to think that was no longer within his reach, a relationship with God. And that's what changes lives. That's what, that kind of love is what changes, if that's what renews the very fabric of creation, not lectures, not scolding, I don't know, I don't know why anybody scolds anybody, I mean, you know, it makes you feel better if you're doing the scolding, I guess, um, I, I uh, so at night sometimes I'll get on a YouTube jag and I've been watching world street music kind of stuff and I like street music, it's kind of, it's amazing the talent that's out there. Uh, what do I do in my private time well, that 's what I do, and so uh, that and fuzzy animals, I love cute animals on YouTube, baby wolf puppies and otters and things like that but But I was watching these street musicians, and this guy is going around he 's taking a piano with i mean it 's not the easiest instrument to do street music with and he 's pushing this piano uh, and they 're in he 's in Aspen, Colorado, and uh, there he pulls into the the plaza, the public square. So like a first Friday evening when everybody's out doing art and stuff, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, and right behind him, there is somebody who is, I'm sure people all around him think they're a Christian. Uh, you know, that's how this guy is self-identifying. He's a street preacher and it's just horrible, just scolding, belittling, hatred coming out of this guy's mouth. And I'm thinking these poor pagans here don't know that that's really not Christianity. People think that's what this is all about. And that's, I don't know anybody who, I don't know anybody who was scolded into the kingdom of heaven. If you work, tell me about it afterwards. It certainly isn't what happened to me. Not rules, not condemnation, but just this wild, unconditional, unmerited love of God that keeps pouring out on this broken down old world, that's the only thing that has the power to change us. When we realize how much God really loves us, it breaks our stony cold hearts and we turn to the, the one who gave himself for us. I can remember to this day that it was Leonard Fox standing in a pulpit telling me, getting across to me finally, after all those years, the reality of God's love for me that made me literally run to Jesus. That's right, I got out of a pew in a dried-up old Methodist church and ran the aisle to get to the altar because he made me know that God loved me. Jesus doesn't condone the vile oppression Zacchaeus has meted out on his fellow Jews. He never says it's no big deal. It's just that God's grace is so much bigger than even this tax collector's sin. Jesus sees through the brokenness and the cruelty to the Zacchaeus that God has loved from before the world began. The Zacchaeus that God has eternally longed to welcome into joyful relationship, a relationship for which he was created. So I don't know what you do with that kind of love. What do you do with that kind of love? I think the only thing you can do with that kind of love is just do what Zacchaeus did and accept it. But here's the miracle of God's love. When we do receive it, when we do accept it, it transforms us. It does not leave us the same. Up until this point in his life, what had been the most important thing in the world to Zacchaeus? Money, right? I mean, he was willing to sell his soul for money. He was willing to oppress his brothers and sisters for money. But as soon as he accepts Christ's love, what's the first thing that happens? He starts giving money away. He's giving it away with both hands. Zacchaeus has received costly grace and he was ready to shower others with the costly love that had embraced him. So standing up in the middle of the banquet... He is set for Rabbi Jesus with his family gathered around him, Zacchaeus, beaming with joy, raises his voice because, oh, that crowd that saw Jesus go home with Zacchaeus, they didn't, they didn't just stay outside of town. They walked all the way to see if he really went home to be with Zacchaeus, and they're standing outside of Zacchaeus' house just far enough so they don't get defiled. And so Jesus says this, or Zacchaeus says this, so that they can hear Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I leave to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Folks, the crowd outside of Zacchaeus' house, when they heard half the goods I have I give to the poor, there was a collective gasp. And by the time he got to telling he was going to pay it back fourfold, people were dropping with coronaries. It was shocking. Jesus. Here's hears the earnest exaggeration of genuine repentance flowing from Zacchaeus's heart, and with a smile on his face and a laugh in his voice, he declares for Zacchaeus and those outside his house this for them to hear. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Saved, accepted, transformed, restored to the community of God's people. It all happens because of God's costly love in Christ. You are a son of Abraham. You are not an outsider, Zacchaeus. God has made you belong. You are a part of God's covenant people. And the next morning, Jesus leaves Jericho because he is on the way to Jerusalem for Passover. And when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he will be the one who climbs a tree in humiliation. And on Golgotha's tree, he will stretch out his arms to embrace all the shame, all the defilement, all the wrath, all the condemnation deserved by a whole world of Zacchaeus' so that salvation can come to our houses too. And just like he did with Zacchaeus' Jesus wants to share a meal with us this morning. He is willing to come under our roof to invite himself in and meet with us at this feast that he sets for us every day, every Sunday. But this time, he is the one who sets the table. He is the one who is the host. What can you do with such love? All you can do is accept it and let it transform you so that you can become a conduit of God's costly love to all those the Good Shepherd still longs to seek and to save. In just a moment, we're going to hear the story of God's costly love told again in the service of holy baptism. We're going to hear how God has made water and the Spirit a way for us to come in relationship with Him. And at that time, when these two children, these, these little people... They may come with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Was that JT outside? That was, I don't know who that was. They're getting wet. Nothing's going to stop it. God is going to begin a work in their lives. And that, that work we want to see come to ultimate fruition with them knowing the love that Jesus showed Zacchaeus in such a way that it transforms their lives. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you at this time to stand with me as we confess. Oh, wait a second. We don't. We don't. You Sit back down. That's right. We're doing baptisms. Sorry. I should look at my notes. Yes, we're going to bring him. So uh, Deacon Jesus is going to get the kids. And I invite you to turn in your service guide because part of this will be in Spanish. And then it will be repeated in English. I need to get some water. Hmm? I've got mine. All right. And, Randy, we'll have the, uh, we'll have, we can go ahead and have the uh, parents, godparents come up and stand here. Uh, godparents and uh, grandma and granddad and, and mama come on up. And uh, we'll just. I hear him. I hear him. And y'all need to bring your service guide with you. All right. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Oh, boy. <laughs> We might have to take you to the urgent care to get that removed. <laughs> That's a, all right. Hey, JT. Hey, Ariana. Tell you what, y'all come over here. Come a little bit closer. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You can, stand with, you can stand right here? Okay. All right. I think we're all here for so much. Go ahead. And
1: mm-hmm. los candidatos al santo bautismo sea presentados ahora.
0: We present J.T. Hey Ariana, you got your towel.
1: Serás responsable de cuidar. Para responder estas preguntas, serás responsable de cuidar que este que estos niños que ahora presentan crezcan en la fe y de la vida cristiana. Así lo haré con el de Dios. Ayudarás a estos niños por medio de tus oraciones y testimonio a crecer hasta alcanzar la madurez de la plenitud de Cristo. Así lo haré con el de Dios. Renuncias a Satanás y a todas las fuerzas espirituales del mal que se rebelan contra Dios. Renuncias a los poderes malignos de este mundo que corrompen y destruyen a las criaturas de Dios. Renuncias a todo deseo pecaminoso que, de par- que te aparta del amor de Dios. Te de entregas a Jesucristo y lo aceptas como tu salvador. Sí, me Confías enteramente en su gracia y amor. Sí, Prometes seguirle y obedecerle como tu señor. Sí, lo
0: Godparents who speak English. <laughs> Will you be responsible... To see that the child you're presenting is brought up in the Christian faith and life. I will with God's help. Will you by your prayers and witness help these children to grow into the full stature of Christ? I will with God's help. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior? I do. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey him as your lord? I do. In congregation, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ? We will
1: estas personas que ahora se entregan a Cristo y renovemos también nuestro propio pacto bautismal Creen en Dios Padre. Creo en Dios Padre, nuestro creador del cielo y de la tierra. Crees en Jesucristo, el Hijo de Dios. Santo. Continuarás en la enseñanza y comunión de los apóstoles, en la fracción del pan y en las oraciones. Así lo haré con el auxilio de Dios. Preservarás y resistir el mal, y cuando caigas en pecado, te arrepentirás y te volverás al Señor. Así lo haré con el auxilio de Proclamarás por medio de la palabra y el ejemplo las buenas nuevas de Dios en Cristo. Así yeah. en el auxilio de Dios. Buscarás y servirás a Cristo en todas las personas, amando a tu prójimo como, t- como a ti mismo. Así lo haré con el auxilio de Dios. La paz. Uh, no, no, no. Lucharás por la justicia y la paz entre todos los pueblos. Y la de todo ser
0: congregation would you please stand let us now join with those who are committing themselves to christ and renew our own baptismal covenant do you believe in god the father i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth do you believe in jesus christ the son of god I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic.